Well, good morning. That was quite the introduction. I don't deserve most of the stuff that he said, but I'll take it. If you guys have ever been hanging around the church when pastor's working on a sermon series, it's quite interesting. And uh, he gets real excited about things that the Lord is speaking to his heart. And I just happened to be the person standing there when he got real excited about talking about relationships. And so that's how I found myself here today. So I'm honored to get to share this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor Austin, for giving me the opportunity. We are in a sermon series called The Struggle is Real. We're talking about relationships. And Pastor did a great job talking about marriage relationships last week. I learned so much in that sermon. Today, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different we talk about boundaries in relationships, boundaries in relationships. I heard some ooze that went, oh, maybe that's okay. And some ooze that are like, ooh, we have to talk about this. Yes, we do, because boundaries are so important. But that title is kind of lame, so I came up with a more fun one. The title today is, whoa, you've gone too far, all right? Whoa, you've gone too far. When we're talking about boundaries in relationships, there's, there's so much value in understanding why and how to implement boundaries with the, in, with the people in your lives. You see, boundaries are something that we are responsible for. A lot of times when relationships in our lives get out of control, our first response is, it's that person's fault. They're a bad person. They're exhausting. My favorite is to call people energy vampires. Ever met somebody that sucks the life right out of you? Right? And we want to blame it on them that it's because they're a toxic person. They're a bad person. They're an exhausting person. But the reality is, the reason why we're so worn out, the reason why we're so frustrated is because we have not implemented healthy boundaries in our life to protect our sanity, our relationship with God, and the relationship with the relationship, and our relationships with people who God has called us to. We are responsible for placing boundaries in our lives and implementing them in a healthy way so that we can live the way that God calls us to. But before I even get into the word, I have to test you today, okay? Because here's the thing. There is one qualification to being able to put boundaries in your life. One and one only. This is a pass or fail test. You either can pass it or you fail it. If you fail it, you get to get up and leave today because this doesn't apply to you, okay? So here's the one test. I'm going to see if you can do it. All together on the count of three, we're going to say one word. It starts with N. It rhymes with go, okay? And in case you're not smart enough to figure out what I'm saying, the word is no, okay? So are you ready? On the count of three, we're going to say it all together. One, two, three, no. That was pretty good, but there was two people in the back that didn't participate, and I want them to feel included today. So let's do it one more time. Make sure everybody says, on count three, one, two, three, no. You are qualified to implement boundaries in your life. That's all it takes is that simple little word, no. See, the principle that I was sharing with Pastor a few months ago is this, this picture that God gave me many years ago when I was struggling with several unhealthy relationships. I have found myself depleted and frustrated and recognizing some unhealthy behaviors in my life that were the cause or that the effect of unhealthy relationships in my life. And as I was seeking the Lord and trying to figure out how do I maintain and how do I manage and how do I get to a healthy place within myself, God gave me this picture. You see, one thing that I have learned over the years is that relationships are like a living thing. They're always growing. And in order for relationships to stay intact, they have to always be growing. There's no such thing as a stagnant relationship. I mean, think about it. When you have long life childhood friends, eventually you find yourself what? 
growing farther apart. We, we use that. We're, we're feeling distant. That's because the relationship quit growing, so it's actually starting to die a slow and sometimes painful death. Relationships are living beings. They're always growing. And when we put boundaries in our lives and we understand that sometimes the growth has to stop, that's when relationships either die or change. So relationships are always growing, but when I use boundaries in my life, they die or change. Now, sometimes I can be really bad at growing relationships and you have to fertilize relationships and cultivate relationships. That is not the message for today, okay? So if you are really terrible at connecting with people, go meet one of the pastors on staff. They'll teach you how to find friends, okay? I'm not teaching you today on how to find friends. I'm teaching you today on how to maintain the relationships in your life. Relationships are always growing. And the picture that God gave me was a picture of like a plant. And, and that I, I viewed and saw that a relationship, if it's always growing, it's, it's constantly moving up until eventually it hits a cap. And that cap is the safeguard. It's the line in which the relationship needs to stop growing. It's the place where the relationship needs to stop growing. Unfortunately, because so many of us are not good at allowing relationships to die or change in a healthy way, we tend to remove said caps and allow those relationships to continue to grow. But when a cap is removed, negative things start to happen, and I find myself in an unhealthy place. I find myself in an unhealthy place. The caps are there as a safeguard. They are the boundaries in which we're supposed to use in relationships so they don't grow too far. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. You might go, Erica, where in the Bible does it talk about boundaries? Well, there's no scripture that says thou shalt not have good boundaries. There's no like really specific sentence like that. But we absolutely can find biblical and spiritual principles where God is helping us to understand why it's important to maintain boundaries with relationships in our world. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 17, but I love this portion of scripture because it's sandwiched in the most perfect place. The beginning of chapter 7 is where it talks about marriage, okay? And it's, it's talking about all the rules of marriage and who owns whom's body and, and how you're supposed to give yourself to each other and all that stuff that happens with married people. It talks about that. It helps talk about divorce. And it's really laying out the boundaries in marriage, some, some parameters for your married relationship. The last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is to all you single people. So guess what? Single people, you don't get excluded today. You are absolutely included. That if it, it lays out the principles of being single and the benefits of a single person's relationship with God. But sandwiched right in the middle is this portion of scripture where the writer references other relationships out of just whether I'm married or not married. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting verse 17, says this. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. 
For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to dive into your word this morning. God, we're so grateful for even able to come to church today and be together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, that your anointing would fall in the your word be shared. Leave today forever changed, ready to walk out what you've called us to do. In your awesome name we pray. Amen. We're having trouble. Okay, here we go. Are you there? Okay. Guys, this will be fun. Okay. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So when we are reading this portion of scripture and it's talking about to live the way in which you were called, I, I, I like that principle anyway because what he's telling us here is don't try to go live like somebody else was called. Don't try to go do what somebody else is doing. Be who you are. Be who God intended for you to be. Be who God called you to be. Live in the way that he called you to live. Walk that way. Okay, so he's giving us parameters to understand that we have a very specific calling in who we are as human beings. But when we get to the bottom part of this portion of scripture, they start using this metaphor about being Christ's slave or slaves to men. You see, when, when we see in Scripture referencing being a slave, it's different than what we assume American slavery is. And Pastor actually talked about this a few weeks ago in the last sermon series, but just in case you missed it, when we see the reference to slavery in Scripture, slavery was not as negative as what we see it now. In fact, most of the time, slaves uh, were, were in slavery because they had a debt to pay off. And slavery was not something that you did for a lifetime. It's something that you did for a period of time. In fact, there were rules that you could only keep a slave for seven years. And after seven years, you had to let them go free. In fact, masters were even required to take care of the slave they just freed and provide for his needs and help make sure that he could start his life on his own. It was a, a positive transaction where a slave served his time, paid his debt, and was able to start his life. But at seven years, you can go read in the book of Exodus where you see this other rule. At seven years, a slave actually could make the choice to stay. I say choice because that's very important. It was not a master's choosing. It was not a manipulative thing. It was not a deceptive thing. It wasn't any kind of negative thing. It was a slave legitimately had a choice to say, I know I could be free. I know my life would start okay because you're giving me all I need. I know my family would be with me, but it's better for me to stay with you, my master. They would go before a judge and he would have to say the words, I will not go out free. If he made that choice, they would mark him with a ring in his ear, and that ring would signify that he belonged to or was owned by the master for the rest of his life. When we see in the New Testament, we actually see that the, the writers of the New Testament reference themselves as servants, bond servants, or slaves of Christ quite often. But when we see that statement, it is not a bondage type statement, I'm being held against my will, it's actually them stating, I have stepped and committed my life to my master because I know it's better for me to be in connection and relationship with the master than it is for me to go out free. It's a love commitment between master and slave. 
And when we see this scripture, and he specifically says, if you were called in Christ while free, you are Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. But do not become slaves of men. You see, you cannot be a slave of two masters. We can go on in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul's writing, and he said, if I were trying to please man, I could not be a bondservant of Christ or Christ's slave. If I was trying to please man, I could not be a slave of Christ. Boundaries. So what this ultimately is pointing to, if I allow the relationships in my life to control my decisions, if I don't have healthy boundaries in my life, I will begin to live in a way that is pleasing the men in my life instead of living in a way that is pleasing Christ in my life. I cannot serve two masters. I cannot serve two masters. So today, we're going to be talking about three types of caps or three types of boundaries that you need to acknowledge and implement in your life. Three things to do. The first cap I want to talk about this morning is the cap of time. The cap of time. Time is an interesting thing. It is not something we can really control. It is, it is something that is outside of us. It is something that just exists. And it is our most valuable commodity because we cannot generate any more of it. Time is more valuable than cash. Cash, I can always dig in my couch and find more. There is no time hiding in my home, right? Every single human on the face of the earth has the same amount of time. It is the most valuable commodity that you have. And time caps are so important for us to implement because without caps of time in our life, we actually steal time from the people we should be spending it with and offer it up to people we shouldn't. We treat time like it's just a free-for-all. Imagine this. Imagine walking out to the street right here in the middle of Jay and just throwing hundreds and thousands of dollars of cash everywhere. There's no one on the earth that would do that with an unlimited amount of money because money eventually runs out, right? It's like pretending that your bank account is already in the red and handing out cash for no reason. We do that with time. We act as if it's an unlimited account and we can just pass it out whenever we want instead of acknowledging it is something I have to manage. It is something I have to maintain. Time, I think of moments where I have messed up in not considering how valuable a moment or a minute or even an hour really is. Imagine for a second that you're in Walmart and you run into an acquaintance, somebody that you kind of know, maybe you met them here at church or you met them in your workplace, and as you're walking by them in the aisle, you see that they, they kind of have a long face. Something's wrong. So you stop to be kind and ask if everything is okay because you do know this person, and they start to share some pretty heavy stuff with you. At that exact moment, your family or your closest friends or your work, whichever life situation you're in, your family is at home, Dinner is cooked and they're waiting on you. You've made a commitment to them that we would have family time because life's been kind of busy lately. But in this moment, somebody else needs you. You have a decision to make whether you pretend like it exists or not. If you choose to stay, you're from them. If you choose to live, you're not offering your time. Now, a lot of times in these kind of moments, we tend to blame them on God. 
We tend to stand there like it's a divine appointment every single time. And you didn't ask God, and God didn't tell you that. You just feel that way because it's a good opportunity, but it's not necessarily a God opportunity. Sometimes when people demand our time and it looks like a good thing, we still have to evaluate for a moment and ask the Lord, God, are you calling me? Are you intending to use me in this moment? Because if I choose to sacrifice my time here, I'm stealing it from somewhere else. And that's hard. It's so hard. But we, in those moments when we choose to stay and we haven't really heard from God, you know what that's called? A savior complex. It's the idea that you are the solution to somebody else's problems and you're not really trusting the Lord to handle them. Now, does God sometimes tell us in the store to stop and have a long conversation? Sure, that does happen. But how many times do we do it and ignore what the Holy Spirit's actually trying to speak to us? Sometimes in those moments, the best thing I can offer that human is to say, I'm sorry you're going through something. Can I pray for you really quick before I have to leave? Or it's referring them to someone else. My goodness, how many times have you had a conversation and you realize, man, this person needs counseling? You know, and maybe the best thing I can offer them is advice to go find someone. Maybe I do want to give them the time, but I don't own it right now. So my response to them should be, I want to talk to you more about this. Can we have coffee tomorrow? I am responsible for the time in my life. And when I pass it out, you know, half-heartedly, To other people, I'm stealing it from somewhere else. Time is something we steward. It's not actually something we own. Time is something that God created. He established and he granted it to you. And a steward, a steward is someone who manages or oversees something that does not belong to them. So if time is owned by God because he created it, then I am a steward of said time. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this, Let a man so consider us as servants, slaves of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of the steward that one be found faithful. It is required of me to be found faithful. So in a moment in the store when a good opportunity is standing in front of me, but my family who I promised my time to is in conflict to that time, I have to reference, I have to filter my decision through this scripture. Am I being faithful with what God has given me? Am I being faithful with the time he has committed to me? Am I walking out what he's asked me to do? Time caps are crucial because they actually protect our valued relationships. Time caps help us protect our valued relationships. Let me tell you something. Relationships can't grow without time. This is like a side note on that other sermon about how to develop relationships. They can't grow without time. They literally, time is a fertilizer to relationships. It's what actually helps them to grow. And if you're stealing time from your kids, you are slowing the growth process in your relationship with them. If you're stealing time from your spouse, you are damaging the married relationship you have with them. That's heavy and that's hard because it's so easy to assume that Zach is fine if I go give my time somewhere else. It's really easy because he's literally the most laid back person on the face of the earth. But I have to make a conscious effort to go, even though 
I know he'd say, oh, it's fine, Erica, no big deal, because that's always his answer to me. I still have to choose to value and protect our time. So you know something I do every day at 5 o'clock? My computer shuts, my work email turns off, my WhatsApp, that's how we talk at work, gets deleted, and I don't answer work phone calls because there's nothing that could happen in the evening that's more important than him having my focus. He gets that time. They don't get to have it. Steward of time. Time caps protect our valued relationships. Second cap we're going to talk about this morning is the cap of energy. The cap of energy. Time is something that exists outside of us, right? It's a commodity that is out of our control. It just is. Energy is something that is within us. Energy is the thing that we have to offer. It's the tank, uh, for lack of a better picture, it's the tank inside of us of how much we have to offer people, how much energy we have to offer people, how much focus, how much emotions, how much mental capacity, what do we have to give to people? That is our energy. We might have time to give someone, but we lack energy to actually invest in them. And when we get to depleting our energy tanks, and we've, we've divvied out everything that we have within us, and then we get back to those valued relationships again, and we're trying to find something left in the tank to give, all that's left is negative emotion. That's why you get home from a long day at work, and you snap at your kids at the smallest thing. It's because you gave everything you had at work, and you didn't come back home with the healthy stuff. This is free right here. Your ministry, your purpose, your plan, your destiny, your everything starts when you pull into the driveway, not when you pull out. That wasn't my quote I stole from someone else, but it is really good, right? (laughs) More when you pull into the driveway, not when you pull out. When I run out of energy, I'm left with anger, frustration, and stress. I don't know what else to do, so I become absent to those I should be with. Energy has to be capped on every relationship at some point. More than even my family suffers when I run out of energy, my relationship with God tends to suffer most when I run out of energy. There's an easy test to find out if you're misappropriating your energy. If you find yourself in your daily devotionals constantly thinking about somebody else you should be doing something for, your energy is not capping in the right places. You're putting it in the wrong places because you're not giving it all to the one who deserves the most energy of all. Colossians chapter 3, <coughs> excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 24 Uh, says something good about this energy thing. This one, I like again because it's another scripture about relationships in our lives. It starts off, wives submit to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wife and do not be bitter toward them. Children obey your parents in all things for this is well pleasing for the Lord. Fathers do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. Stop there. This is referring to all the energy it takes to maintain relationship in your family. Energy. In order for a wife to submit to her husband, Let me tell you, it takes some energy. In order for children to obey parents, guys, we know it sucks. You have to do it anyway. It takes energy. In order for dads not to wear out their kids and for dads and for husbands to love their wives well, it takes intentional 
energy, okay? Intentional energy. That's why it takes energy to maintain those relationships. Then it goes on and references other relationships again. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily with energy to, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward and inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Ooh, that's good. Everything you do, do it heartily as if for God. This is saying, I am a slave to Christ. So even when I serve people in my life, I do it as if I do it to the Lord, not as if I do it to them. It's the difference between being a slave to Christ and a slave to man. You say, okay, Erica, does that mean every time someone requires energy, I should give it away? No, that's where energy caps come into play. It's understanding that some things are not intended for you to give to. It's understanding that God has caps in your relationships for a reason, and some people just don't get access to more energy. Some people don't get access to more thoughts in your head. Some people don't get more access to emotions. If you find yourself being worn out by an energy vampire, that is your fault, not theirs. Because you have not put a boundary in that relationship to protect yourself and others. Without healthy energy caps, we will begin to lose ourselves because the tank is always empty. When we remove that cap, we start to lose ourselves because the tank is always empty. Energy caps protect us from losing who we are. Last cap. The most obvious one, I think. You say boundaries and relationships, and everybody assumes that the old youth pastor is going to talk about sex. Kids, don't have sex before marriage. That's all I got to say about that, okay? But when we're talking about boundaries... And intimacy, the cap of intimacy, I'm actually not referring to sex all that much. See, when we say intimacy, intimacy actually includes so many things. Intimacy is emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual, and it's physical. And all of these things, all relationships require a level of intimacy. If you want to cultivate relationships with people, you have to find a way to be intimate with them. So get the sex word out of your head for a second and let's talk about real intimacy. To be emotionally intimate with someone, it's, it's when I choose to share or care or, or give advice or listen to them when they're going through a hard time. It's, it's sharing in emotions. It's encouraging one another. It's carrying the weight or affirming them when they're going through something difficult. Mental intimacy is communication. It's conversation. It's being willing to open up your heart and go, look, this is who I am. It's being able to share the hard things in life. It's, it's being able to tell your story. Man, if you don't know how to tell your story, you should learn how to do that because it's an important part of connecting with people. Spiritual intimacy is sharing the things of God together. Letting people know where you are with him and what he's teaching you, what he's illuminating you to you in scripture. That's spiritual intimacy. And of course you have physical intimacy, but see, even physical intimacy has different levels. When we break the barrier, physical barrier with someone, when they're crying and we place a hand on their shoulder, I'm connecting with them in a new way. 
When I give someone a hug because they've just lost a loved one, I am having a physical connection with them. That's not sexual, but it is intimacy. And then, of course, the obvious one is what's saved for marriage. There's all kinds of levels of intimacy. Matthew 7, 6 says this, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. When we talk about intimacy, we're talking about vulnerability. We're talking about the ability to allow people to see who we are. This scripture here, when it says, don't throw your pearls to swine, it's not saying don't give money away to somebody who's going to abuse it. That's not what it's talking about, okay? What this is actually referring to is don't give what is precious to you to someone who's not going to treat it right. Don't give who you are away to someone who's going to mishandle it or abuse it. Two places that intimacy caps are so crucial. The first one is intimacy caps that protect us from untrustworthy relationships. They protect us from untrustworthy relationships. If someone has physically, verbally, sexually, or any other way abused you, you are not required to have much intimacy with them. That cap can be set real low. That boundary can be there because it protects us because that person has lost the right to know who I am. In other cases, if you are befriending a gossip, that might not be the best person to give your pearls to, right? To share the depths of who I am with someone I know has a big mouth, I'm probably gonna have a real low cap on that connection. They're only gonna get so much access to me because they are untrustworthy with who I am. Intimacy caps protect my relationships uh, from protect me from connecting in untrustworthy relationships. The second place that intimacy caps protect us is from sin. It is from sin. Intimacy caps protect us from sin. In fact, I would tell you, when God first gave me this analogy of growing relationships and caps that have to stop, it was in this area that I learned it the most. That when I remove caps, when I allow people to have more of me than they should, I eventually find myself flirting with sin. Now, the most obvious one here is an affair, right? If I choose to allow relationships with the opposite sex to grow to places they were never meant to grow, and I pull caps off those relationships that were never supposed to be pulled, I will eventually find myself doing things with someone who is not my spouse. That boundary, though, should not just be I won't have sex with them, right? Affair-proofing your marriage is setting those caps much lower than that. It's understanding that I can't even emotionally engage in this relationship that is only supposed to be emotions I engage in with my spouse. It's understanding that I have to start way further back down the road, and if I find myself wanting to spend more time with the opposite sex, tempted to pull off the cap, I'm probably in the danger zone. It's probably time for me to go talk to a brother or a sister in Christ and find somebody to help me do that. Intimacy caps protect us from sin. They protect us from the emotional affairs, the mental affairs, the spiritual affairs, the physical affairs we can have with others. They protect our marriages. The second part it protects is it even protects our friendships. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to. I have this theory that 
young people who struggle with homosexuality, I can't say this for everybody, but young people who struggle with homosexuality, that the core root of it is a lack of knowing where the boundaries are. They allow their same-sex relationships to grow and cultivate like they should. Girls being friends with girls and guys being friends with guys. And eventually it comes to a cap. And because someone has an unhealthy picture of what relationships should be, they feel scared that that relationship is going to die and they have to give another piece of themselves. So they remove a cap and begin walking into something God never intended for us to walk into. Intimacy caps protect all relationships. What I choose to share with charity, the parts of me I share with my grandmother, the parts of me that I share with my husband are all different levels because all of those relationships matter to me. I have to understand they all have boundaries. They all have caps. They all have places they can only grow to. And I listed my spouse on that list for a reason because guess what? We have an intimacy cap too. That might sound weird, right? Because two become one and you're basically the same person. But you know where the intimacy cap is? The most obvious one? That our relationship can grow to so many places, but where it can't grow is ever letting somebody else come into it. It's ever coming to a place where I say, hey, let's watch pornography together. Rip off the cap. Hey, I'm okay if you have that affair. Rip off the cap. Hey, let's invite somebody else to be as close to us. Rip off the cap. There's a cap there too. There's a level that only we can go to, and everything else beyond it is all that I have left to give to God. It's understanding if I find myself hitting that cap saying, man, I have this temptation. I want to have this conversation, but I know it's beyond the cap that is supposed to be between me and my husband. Now I have to take that temptation and take it to the Lord like I should all temptations, right? God, help me deal with this because I'm not willing to remove the cap. I'm not willing to endanger that relationship. Every relationship has a cap. They protect us from sin. They protect us from sexual sin, emotional sin. They protect us from losing ourselves. But lastly, intimacy caps protect us from codependency, the sin of codependency. Now, you might think that's a counseling term. What does that have to do with anything? But codependency is basically one person enabling another person to sin. And whether you're the enabler or the enablee, you're living in sin. If you have such a deep connection with someone that you are actually helping them commit sin, You yourself are in sin, okay? If you're helping someone else sin, you yourself are in sin. So if I'm enabling someone else, I am now in a relationship I never should have been. I've given too much of myself away, and I've gone too deep into who they are. If I am the enablee on the other side, and I'm allowing someone else to help me sin, not only have I lost myself to the sin, but I've lost myself because someone else is my master. Someone else is pushing me to the things that are not of God. Intimacy t- protects us from codependent relationships. Here's the bottom line. The worship team wants to come. Boundaries are our responsibility. And they help us to walk in the way the master has called us. During worship a second ago, I was just processing the, the message and listening to the worship team and The last few days, I've asked God, like, how's this service going to go? I can't, this feels like a really teaching message, and I can't get my preach on like I like to. So this feels like there's going to be a lot of start and stop, and God, I don't know how it's going to work. And I was sitting over there, and they started singing that song, uh, Praise the One, I think, and it, it said, in his freedom, I am free. And as soon as it said that, I kind of like laughed on the inside going, but today I'm talking about being a slave. That's not helpful. 
God kind of revealed to my heart, no, it's exactly the truth. See, when I choose to be a slave to Christ, when I step into relationship as that kind of bondservant, I actually receive greater freedom. When I think about the Bible times, and I, I imagine what it would have been like to be a slave who's worked for seven years, not owned themselves, worked for the same master for seven years. When that seven years comes up and I know that my family gets to come with me and, and he's going to take care of me, he's going to give me some money to leave, so it's totally safe to leave. But I have to question in my heart, should I go? I imagine that there was a deeper relationship between slave and master that would motivate someone to stick around. They're not sticking around because they don't have money. The master will give that to them. They're not sticking around because their family's there and he's manipulating them because it's a rule. They have to let them go. Why would a slave ever choose to stay with a master? I think the answer is love. I think the answer is freedom. See, when we choose to step into relationship with Christ and we allow him to have total and complete ownership of who we are, there is incredible freedom. When I truly allow myself to see him as master, that means he gets to own all the stress, he gets to own all the pressure, he gets to own all the relationships, he gets to own all the finances, he gets to own all the, all the married problems, he gets to own my job, he gets to own every aspect of who I am, and I don't have to worry about it. That is incredible freedom. And boundaries are the thing he asks of me to make sure I stay his sermon. Boundaries are the things required of me to be a steward of what he's given back. Boundaries are what protect me from becoming something I never was supposed to be. Boundaries help me to maintain my slaveship with Christ and protect me from being a slave to men. <laughs> Guys, evaluating every relationship in your life and trying to set boundaries with them is complicated. It's a process. And I promise, if you come down to this altar and you give it all to the Lord, you're still gonna walk out the door and have to do some more evaluating. Because boundaries are something that take a conscious and in, an intentional decision. Conscious and intentional walking out. You have to on purpose maintain boundaries. It is not something that God just grants to you and all of a sudden you wake up and you have no problem saying no. No is hard. No is complicated. No is difficult. I don't know why. It's just a simple little word, but it's so hard. But if you find yourself having removed caps in some relationships in your life, you have some work to do. And I would venture to guess that probably all of us have places in our life we need to reassess some boundaries. I still haven't figured it all out. This morning, I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself, what master are you serving? What master are you serving? What caps have you removed? Have you quit protecting the valuable relationships God has entrusted you with by giving your time away elsewhere? Have you worn yourself and found yourself depleted because you've given your energy up to people who didn't deserve it? 
And have you found yourself in complete sin because you removed intimacy caps and gave people parts of you that you were never supposed to give away? This morning, while the worship team plays, I'm going to challenge you to just take some time to evaluate. I think it's important in moments like this to just sit and allow God to illuminate our hearts and show us places where things have grown out of control. Places where the boundaries don't exist anymore. And ask him for wisdom and guidance on how to reset them. How to put the caps back on, because that's hard too. How to let people know this is the line and I can't let you cross it anymore. How to ask your family for forgiveness because you've sacrificed them on the altar of somebody else. How to find your energy again and, and feel refreshed once again. And how to find who you are once more.